sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, I think the difference you see between the approaches in the Trump administration and the Obama administration is here that these deals that, that the Trump administration is working on with China are backed up with, with strong enforcement provisions. That is a critical objective of the Trump administration, something the Obama administration me, me. didn't achieve. Mexico took the president's tariff threat very seriously, and they're starting to take enforcement at their southern border seriously. This is important to both countries. The president of Mexico, I get along with him very well, and we made this deal. But this is very, this is something the U.S. has been trying to get for over 20 years with Mexico. They've never been able to do it. As soon as I put tariffs on the table, it was, it was done. It took two days. And now, Stacey Washington. Hello, welcome. It's Monday, and I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio, Urban Family Talk, and other good networks. So you know what? We have a good show for you today. We have a fantastic program planned. We're going to be chatting with Stephen Solomon. You know, he was a military intelligence officer, and now he's a morning show host for uh, Moody Broadcasting. He's going to be coming on to talk about payment processing. And you might be thinking, oh, Stacey, this isn't a financial show. I know, it's not. Uh, but we have this interesting thing that's going on, which is leftist suppression of conservative thought and ideals. And it is actually extending into um, something very important. And that important thing is our actual processing for, for like, if you, if you run a gun shop, if you sell ammunition, if you sell, um, you know, holsters, or if you accept donations and payments to your blog and you're a conservative and the majority of the things that are on your side are, you know, from the right perspective, right political side perspective. And so what they've been doing is they've been saying, yeah, you can't, you can't use Visa or MasterCard anymore. And since they're the only games in town, you can say, okay, PayPal just shut me down because they don't like me talking about, let's say the abortion issue. Well, then what happens? You go over and you say, oh, I'm not going to use PayPal. Um, some people come and set up a system, another system that, that can accept payments. Well, it's not that PayPal is the problem, and, and sometimes they can be. For certain uh, conservative groups and organizations, PayPal has been a real problem. But it's not just PayPal. You still have to go through MasterCard. No matter what system that you set up, whether it's a PayPal or a Stacy Pal or an AFR Pal, you still have to go through MasterCard or Visa. That means if MasterCard is against you, you got no way to take money. There's just no way to do it. So that's the conversation that we're going to have with Stephen Solomon. He did some research into it, and it's fascinating. So we want to touch base with him on that. Obviously, one of the big stories today is this huge, huge issue of uh, the Mexican government saying that they'll finally do some of the things that have been suggested to them by the Trump administration in years past because these negotiations have been ongoing. The only reason they came to the table, because the president threatened tariffs, which Mexico admits jeopardizes 900,000 jobs in their country. So now they're willing to deal. Now they're willing to send some of their police and their National Guard troops down to the southern, their southern border. They're willing to supplement our troops on our southern border. Meanwhile, 123 people walked a- around some fencing. So the fence ends 
There's a wide open space. They just walked right on around the fence and entered America, and they caught that on video. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats still say this isn't a crisis. It's definitely a crisis. We're also going to chat about Americans fleeing the country to avoid student loan debt. And we're going to get into uh, some chatting about, well, you got to just, you got to listen to this. I'm, I'm surprised because it's CNN. So uh, it's Dana Bash and she's challenging presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Oh, we're also going to touch on some polling from, um, from Iowa. So the Democrats were in Iowa and, you know, there's a lot of obviously Iowa is an early state that you have to appear in. You have to campaign there. You have to caucus there. And the Democrats are already making a showing there trying to get people on their side to vote. Well, Iowans have some definite thoughts about what they agree with or don't agree with when it pertains to um, the presidential candidates, especially on the left. They have some ideas. I'm going to give you that poll information. I thought it was kind of fascinating I saw it on a piece this morning where they're literally like people are literally sitting around saying things to themselves like he's too old and he's white. So he might not be a good candidate. Like that's a thing now. I know I'm supposed to already know this and already be, you know, like not not surprised by this, but I'm not. I'm I, I yeah, I continue to be surprised by the fact that a white person would sit up and say, I don't want that person Because they're white and we need someone of color to go up against Donald Trump. Like the calculation there is that somehow being white is more important than the ideals that the candidate espouses or what they would do when they're in office or whether or not they actually are competent enough to do the job, which is the question that I really honestly, not a Democrat voter. You guys know this about me. We're not there's there's no way we're dancing around and acting like I'm going to vote for a Democrat in 2020. But it is kind of disconcerting to see their side put forward so many unqualified candidates with zero workable ideas and that's supposed to be the party representative to go up against president trump and i i don't i don't so i've gotten to a place where and you've you've seen this evolution on the show as the show has gone on as time has gone on it's not really about the program itself i'm not these feelings aren't driven for the program but the fact is i care less than ever than I ever have in the past about the president's tweets or his demeanor, whether he's nice, whether he says, you know, that person acted nasty to me or that person is nasty or whether he insults people when he's on foreign soil. I, I care less about that than I ever have because every minute I spend caring about a tweet or a, a comment that the president has made is a moment where I'm not acknowledging the fact that we're still aborting you know, a, a little under, it's like 3,600 babies a day in this country, and it's taxpayer funded, that we now have a party in this country that is advocating for infanticide, that we have a southern border where we had 144,000 illegal crossings in the month of April, and we're expecting more this month, that we have a whole party apparatus in Washington, D.C., both sides of the same coin, that actually care more about cheap labor than they do about protecting Americans from MS-13 and people with Ebola from the Congo. So that's why I was utterly flabbergasted to hear Dana Bash put the screws to Bernie Sanders on CNN. Maybe it's the ratings free fall. I don't know. But something got into her bonnet and she was trying to get it out with a fierceness. Here she is challenging Bernie Sanders over the border crisis. Of course, he had no answer, so there's no audio from him, but check it out. It's number one. Okay, so you talked broadly about immigration. You tweeted this week. Okay, so you talked broadly about immigration. You tweeted this week that President Trump's 
tariffs were a, quote, fake border crisis, in quotation marks. But immigration officials have arrested or encountered more than 144,000 migrants at the southern border in May, the highest monthly total in 13 years. Border facilities are dangerously overcrowded. Migrants are actually standing on toilets to get space to breathe. How is that not a crisis? So at that point, he starts talking about how mean President Trump is to migrants. He acts his response. Bernie Sanders, presidential candidate, Democratic Socialist extraordinaire, a man who honestly believes that he's been fighting authoritarianism for the past, you know, 30 or so years with what kind of results? Like if he said he's fighting authoritarianism, which is his euphemism for communism, um, in what way has he been fighting it when he keeps he spent the first, I don't know, 10 years of his public life traveling to communist Russia and satellites of communist Russia. So, you know, basically USSR back when that was what it was. He traveled over there and he would highlight how beautiful their underground train system was, how great their educational offerings were, um, how their healthcare system was funded by the government. He was over there making excuses for communism. He was not just validating it. He was defending it. I mean, it, the guy is straight up lying when he says he was fighting authoritarianism. He keeps using words like democracy. I, I was trying to promote democracy. No, he wasn't. He was not doing that. And, you know, there's a responsibility that we each have for people that we vote for. And just like people love to tell me, oh, I can't believe you voted for Donald Trump. It's like you don't even know you're black. Well, I do know. I do know what ethnic background I am. It's not, it's not as if I don't know. I do know. The issue is that I also know that I am responsible for the vote that I cast. And so if I have two choices and I need to vote, I need to participate, I can't just sit home on my hands and act all high and mighty like not voting makes me better than someone who did, then that means I got to vote for somebody who lines up with what God's word says. And that's the litmus test, not whether or not I'm permanently tanned or if I'm brown skin, like that's what they like to call Latino people. Um, or if I'm from, if I'm Indian, you know, from, from the Middle Eastern India or somehow of Arab extraction or Muslim or, you know, from the Philippines or someplace like that or Asian. This, these are not the considerations that are of the utmost importance. There may be some issues that are more impactful for certain community groups, namely for blacks in America. Education should be the number one issue they're voting on. Um, public safety, you know, not not economic policy, because you can see that the Democrats have no economic policy besides higher taxation and more government. And the Republicans at least want you to have a job. They're not going to give you a job. They're not going to keep your job for you if you just basically are the worst employee on earth. But to make sure that there are more jobs than there are people, you can count on the Republicans to do that. But these, those are the kitchen table issues. We're talking about eternal issues. Where you stand when it comes down to killing babies that have been born, but weren't supposed to be, that's going to be a major, major like determinant of where you're going to spend eternity. And it really... It's a major determinant on how you live in this life. You're struggling with a whole bunch of stuff. Friday, we talked about how sometimes our 
no on answered prayer has to do with unrepentant sin in our lives, being in a place where we know we've heard from God. We know it's not the right thing, but you know what? Skin color is way more important than hearing from God. That's what I hear all the time from people. No, they don't say skin color is more important than God, but what they say is, well, you know, I, I don't, I know that abortion is wrong, but it's not an issue that I vote on. I vote on economic policy and the Democrats want to take care of the poor. Oh, okay. So where human beings end up ground up into some kind of, you know, garbage and tossed out with trash, that to you is more important or, or less important. The, the disposition of human remains after abortions, that's less important to you than whether or not the government is going to advance more social policy. We've spent billions and billions of dollars on stopping people from being poor, and we still have millions and millions of people who are poor and poverty stricken. The Bible says the poor will always be with us. It is our responsibility as private citizens to care for the poor, to care for the widows and the infirm. It is not our job to vote in legislators to take money from people who have too much, people who've earned too much, rich people, and then force it into poor communities to the detriment of those communities. The thing about this whole the Democrats care about the poor argument is that all you have to do is get in your car, drive down to any inner city, the closest inner city near you, and look around. Does it look like the poor there are being cared for? Yeah, there's satellite dish, you know, connections on every single apartment building, and all of the apartment buildings have air conditioning. But look at the condition of the people. Look at the condition of the schools and the roads and the public services that they're consuming. Look at how the Democrats have poor people stacked up on top of each other in inner cities, in horrible neighborhoods that are infested by gangs that the Democrats help bring into the country through the open border. MS-13 wouldn't be here if we had a sealed border. The drug cartels wouldn't be shipping not just drugs, but human weapons into this country if our border was sealed. Do you think that improves the quality of life for poor black people and poor white people in inner cities across this country? Poor Hispanics living in the inner city, they're American city citizens, but MS-13 gangs are ruining their lives. It's like they're back in Mexico. You think Mexico-like conditions improve the lives of Americans in this country? Do you think aborting 40% of the black community is helping us in this country? Christians whether you've got a permanent tan or you're an albino, the main idea here for us in this life, because this is the short audition time for us, is that we get it right, that we give our allegiance to God Almighty first. And that means reading his word, knowing what it says and doing it regardless of the permanent tan. When we get back, whoever first. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, healthcare, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. 
Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know of a church that closed down because the people couldn't get along with each other. Actually, it boiled down to one family in the church. They wanted to control the church and they loved to fight. They found fault with everybody, sowing seeds of division and disunity with their negative comments. People started leaving. The resources dried up and the doors of the church closed. There are some people who are not happy unless they're in a fight. I've lived long enough to embrace this sad reality. Too many people view all of life through the lenses of winning and losing. I've got to be on top. I've got to be winning. If you are an opinionated person, be careful. Let the law of love temper your opinions. If you have to fight, fight for unity. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 have something very direct to say to us about contention and strife. Listen to these words. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Wow, did you hear that statement? God says he hates one who spreads strife among brothers. God will not tolerate strife. He hates it, in fact. Jesus died to save our souls and to put us into his body, his church, that would demonstrate unity. Here's what I want you to remember today. God has called us to fight the fight of faith against the devil and not to destroy the unity of the body. This way, we can be true winners. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. You can find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and of course, AFR.net. That's American Family Radio. You can find out about our fantastic AFA Journal and the Engage Magazine and other fantastic things like the AFA store where you can buy the coffee, which I was just raving about last week that I've been trying out. Um, And also a lot of our swag and merchandise. We have cool stuff over there for you to check out. And if you want news, news content, well, you got to head over to onenewsnow.com. So yeah, we have uh, really, it's, it's been an interesting news week. I keep looking at the way that the immigration issue is being handled. Um, and when I, when I see all of the different ways in which our system is being completely obliterated by this onslaught of unlawful immigration, it makes me feel sad for communities who are most impacted, which tends to be poor communities. These illegal aliens are not ending up in posh, you know, suburban neighborhoods like Nancy Pelosi's they're not ending up in Maxine Waters neighborhood she actually is in the house covering a person a district that's quite poverty stricken and has been since the moment she went in up there uh, went to DC but she doesn't live in the district anymore she's bought herself a mansion outside the district and I mean 
can you blame her? Really? Can you blame her for doing that? I can't. So speaking of untenable situations, remember under the Obama administration, when they took over student loans and put them back under the purview of the federal government, making them more expensive and harder to pay off, of course, um, another failed democratic idea that we're just all living under, which by the way, I was actually just raging ticked off uh, listening to my son talking about um, trying to get extra hours at his job. So he works over the summer. I, both of the, the older kids do um, because they're earning spending money so that they can use during the, the school year. And he will be going to college in the fall. So he has a job working um, at, at a business here in town. And it's not a small business, but it's not the biggest business here. It's like midsize. So he went to his supervisor and he was like, well, it's the summertime and I want to change my availability because I'm not running track. I'm not in school anymore. I've graduated. I want to work um, 32 hours a week. And he said, well, under Obamacare, you can't work 32 hours a week as a part-time person. The maximum number of hours you can work is 28. And so he came home and he told me, and he's like, mom, I can only work 28 hours a week. So if I multiply that out, I'm not going to make my target for the summer only working 28 hours a week. Like that's going to leave all this time for me to do nothing. And I said, well, so why did he tell you that? And he said, well, he said it's because of Obamacare. And it just, in that moment, I realized how crazy it is that we're still living under Obamacare with a Republican president. And we used to have all three branches of government and we couldn't get it done, which took me back to the fact that it was John McCain, war hero, God rest his soul. Yes, he was a veteran. We give honor to him for his service. But what a terrible thing he did stopping the repeal of Obamacare. It's just unbelievable that pettiness and personal destruction prevented us from getting rid of that law, that we're paying a tax on our real estate sales. When you sell your house, if you earn more than a certain amount of money when you sell it, say you got a fixer-upper and you fixed it up and you sell it and you make more than a certain amount, you got to pay an extra tax that goes to Obamacare. Obamacare, where a lot of the exchanges, you don't even have one more than one provider. So there's no choice there. Remember, government in, char- in charge of health care means no choice. Also means you're not going to get as much care. So I'm, I'm listening to him talk, and this isn't a situation where he should have to deal with that. So this is why you see so many students having more than one job. And he has more than one, by the way, because you're probably thinking, well, why don't he just get another job? He has one. He has another job. But he shouldn't have to have two jobs over the summer when he could have one and work. And the government is telling it's the government standing in between this employee and his employer and saying, I know you may want to work 28 hours and they may have 28 hours or or 32 or they might even have 36 hours for you to work. But you can't work those hours because we say you can't work them because we are the federal government and we know better than you and we know better than your employer. And this is what we're still dealing with. Thank you, Democrats. And thank you, Democrat voters. Yes, I said Democrat voters, because it's time we start holding people accountable for all of these horrible ideas we're living under. It's not like Obamacare happened by magic. It was all of the Democrats, no Republicans, ramming that bill through and putting it on the American people. And now we have to live with it because we all know once you pass something, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. Which brings me back to the student loan issue. And I, I, I just think, you know, when you have teenagers who want to work and they've been told you can't work any more than 28 hours, when you have young adults who are going into college and they're being told, you know, gender studies and this and that, um, that that is supposed to be what's so important um, as opposed to 
people really and truly saying, let's get government out of the way because we know government bureaucrats don't belong in between employers and their employees. Oh, but you know, so here you have the government in between colleges and universities and the students who are borrowing the money. So student loan borrowers are actually fleeing the U.S. to keep from paying their loans. And this is a report straight from CNBC. One borrower told CNBC he relocated to India after failing to find a well-paying job after college. There, he found the cost of living was so much cheaper than Colorado. Now, the federal government can actually garnish your wages and your tax refunds for borrowers working in the U.S., but they can't do anything to you if your paychecks are coming to you from abroad, if you're living outside the country. Now, the debt doesn't go away, and typically it increases, like it, it mounts up very fast with compounding interest and late fees, and borrowers who re-enter the United States and continue to not make payments can be sued. Americans who stick around are struggling to pay off their loans. Student loan debt in this country is the highest 90-day delinquency rate of all other household debt, like mortgage and auto loans, according to Bloomberg. Some economists say nearly 40% of borrowers could default on their loans by 2023. Um, so it, this is people who are struggling. They're not able to pay. 40% of borrowers defaulting means the federal government will be on the hook for another bailout, which means a tax increase effectively for you and me. Solutions to student debt are likely to be at the forefront of the 2020 presidential race, but expect the Democrats to propose that this, the federal government, which they think is like a magic money machine, will just take over um, the student loan debt of 42 million Americans by taxing billionaires. That's the proposal that's been put forward by the Democrats. One borrower who fled to Japan told CNBC that she worked multiple jobs to pay off her loans but still couldn't afford health insurance. She said, I wish I could come back to America and not be scared. So we'll be taking your calls. We, and we, we don't have our guests for today. I'm not sure what exactly happened. But um, you can call in and join the show and be my guest this hour. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Um, and we can talk about the student loan issue. Um, there also, I wanted to get to the Susan B. Anthony list president talking about how abortion extremists, people who are proposing infanticide like Governor Northam from Virginia and others, have actually moved the needle on who, how many Americans consider themselves to be pro-life. She says, by pushing abortion on demand up to and after birth, they've unleashed a tidal wave of pro-life momentum. Because people who didn't want to talk about abortion before, people who felt like it was a topic that was too grotesque or, you know, something that they didn't want to discuss because it made them uncomfortable. Now people are rushing to make sure that other people know, look, I mean, I was I was OK with quote unquote choice, but I'm never going to be OK with killing a full term baby. You know that that's where people draw the line and they know that full term babies are viable and can be adopted out to someone and, and that it's wrong to kill them. They have these babies in their lives. They see them at the grocery store. They see them when they're out. They know that that's not right. And so I think it's pretty interesting that going, she says, going into 2020, abortion extremists are giving us an unlikely gift. They know the Roe regime is rapidly unwinding and coming to an end. And so they're overreaching. And this is Susan B. Anthony, list president, SBA list president, Marjorie Dannenfelser. She says, I witnessed firsthand, and we also the desperation during the Kavanaugh hearings. And again, this year, as states like New York, Virginia, Illinois, and others have installed these radical bills to 
expand abortion on demand through birth, even infanticide, even overturning the partial birth abortion ban. Democrats in Congress, including every single Democratic senator running for president, have repeatedly blocked legislation to protect babies born alive from failed abortions. So the part of America that's been sitting on the sideline is basically saying, look, I, it's not like these people are going to the Planned Parenthood and praying or doing anything like that. I don't think we're turning them into activists per se, but they're reacting to what they're seeing in the news. And they're saying, look, I, I know I need to be on one side of this now. I can't avoid it anymore. I, I know which side I'm on. I'm on the side of human beings, of humanity. And that is so wonderful because I've been saying for months now that there's becoming, it's becoming harder and harder to straddle the fence and say, well, I'm okay with this policy, but I'm, I'm over here on this. And so, you know, it's getting harder and harder to leave issues on the table and not take an opinion on them. The more radical the Democrats become, the more clear it will become to Americans that they have to choose one or the other in order to maintain a position that if, if you're not a Christian, a moral position. And if you are a Christian, a Christian that lines up with a, a, a position that lines up with the word of God, one that you can sleep with at night. Let's put it that way. All right, let's go to the phones. Danielle in Mississippi. Hey, Danielle, thanks for calling the show. Are you welcome. Thank you for having me, Stacey. Sure. Um, I guess I just want to comment on the education stuff you were talking about. Yeah. I'm with you 100% on the policies and stuff that we allow to be put in. I don't think that Christians are close to as political as they should be, or at least involved in knowing what's going on. But I think there's another maybe issue, certain issue with the education uh, loans and all that stuff. It's responsibility is, I think, uh-huh. a big deal that I don't think people don't think of. I went to school. I moved out of my parents' house when I was a young adult, and I, I had a job, and I paid for my own apartment, insurance, car, food. When I went to the doctor, I paid for it. And I paid for my own school on top of that. It wasn't on credit cards. It was it was just being smart and responsible. And then I did that for a couple of years. And then I joined the Army National Guard, and they mm. paid the rest of my um, the rest of the years I had left. I, I don't think everybody has to do things that way, but if maybe we don't enslave ourselves in mm-hmm. the first place, it would help out with stuff. I know that's not going to answer everybody's questions. So I, well, I, I think it would yeah, uh, Danielle, I think what that wisdom you just spoke out, I hope somebody listening who maybe is just getting started can hear what you said. And really what Danielle is describing, it takes you being wise and you have to be disciplined with yourself, but it can be done. And you're, you're saying you didn't have help from your parents. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I need, I need help from my parents. Well, we, we'd all love to have help from our parents, but if you can't get it, Listen to what she just described there. Danielle said, I did this on my own and paid for your own food and health insurance and everything and still managed to get a degree. It can be done. It did. So the student loans are a trap. And I know if you're going to medical school, you're like, well, how else can I go to medical school? Well, you can take out student loans for medical school, but I wouldn't take them out for basket weaving or underwater, you know, black studies, gender studies, women's studies. Um, English, and as you, y'all know how much I love to read, but you, English degrees are for teachers and professors, not so much for people who are going to go into a high paying career field. So if you're going to go to school for English and that's your passion, 
you got to not take out student loans. And if that means living at home and going to school and taking your first two years online or at the community college, then that's what you do. So when you graduate like Danielle, you don't have any student loans. And with all the different things you can do nowadays, like she described going into the Army National Guard or the National Guard, you can do that. You can go into uh, any of the armed services. Um, Going into the National Guard means you're a weekend warrior. You just go one weekend a month, but they pay for you to go to school. I just, I'm, I get a little ticked off when I hear that there's no way out other than a bailout by the billionaires of this country. And I know the billionaires have a lot of money, but the whole idea that you have to take money from them by force of the government lets you know that that's not, that's not the way that God has laid out for us to get things done. Um, it's just not Connie in Mississippi. Hey, Connie, thanks for calling the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, I was going to tell you that just out of the blue, I got a text message. And the text message was that they would take care of our loans. I kept thinking that we have student loans for our children, and we're paying those back. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, is this the shadow government? You know, I didn't <laughs> respond to it because I didn't know who in the world was saying they were going to take care of it. But it made me think it was a government thing. Another there might be some place that, that like never... refinances, you know what I mean? Like your name gets on a mailing it, list it if you have be. some. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't trust it, but it you know. <laughs> yeah. There is another thing that I never hear anyone talk about, but you know, back when Obama was in, uh, the government was calling the FCC was and trying to buy up tons of TV stations saying that they needed the airways for cell phones. I'm like, no, if they pay you millions for your station, our cell phones are going to go up like crazy on price. Something's wrong with this. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a thing where they were going to start, to me, dictating everything that's on those when they you know, buy I up all the airways. They had so much corruption going on during the Obama years, and you know, will we ever get to the bottom of all of it and understand everything that was going on? I doubt it, but I'm glad they weren't able to do it. I'm, I'm glad that the TV stations are still owned by private companies and, you know, they're, they're still pretty biased against our perspective, but at least they're privately owned and, and anybody who has enough money can at least make offers and do takeovers. And, you know, it's still, it's still a possibility that they could be regular private entities. Um, that is such a good point. I had forgotten all about that story, and I never really like thought about what happened in the end. Thank you for calling. I appreciate you calling in and sharing that. Uh, okay, look, guess what? I hear the music, but we have time for more calls on the other side of this break. You can call in and join us, too. It's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Tony invited the coaches to our house shortly after he had been fired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He talked with them about what was going on and what might be in store for them. Then he read Psalm 37, which talks about how God protects and cares for his children in times of trouble. Verse 23 of that chapter says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, 
for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Even though this was a stumble being fired from Tampa Bay, I told the coaches that Lauren and I trusted in God and we were going to wait patiently on him to direct us. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. There's a particular reason why there is a Back to God radio show. It was about four years ago, God called me out of the pulpit and said, Dexter, I need you to go tell my people it's time for them to get back to God. Back to my morals, back to my values. This is the thing that you're supposed to do simply because you belong to the Most High God. It's the least that you can do for a God that loves you the way that He does. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. I love AFR. You say it's on the radio too? Here at American Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. I just love the podcasts. That too. American Family Radio, streaming our podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. Securing America. Attorney General William Barr is calling for greater cooperation between national and international law enforcement agencies. Speaking to graduates of the FBI Academy in Virginia, Barr said criminals are conspiring across the world. The gravest threats to society today, terrorism, drug trafficking, human, human trafficking, cyber threats, and even elder fraud are increasingly national and even international in scope. Barr said it's imperative to build what he called a global network of excellence. In a matter of seconds, a terrorist in India can communicate with a sympathizer in Indiana. A gang leader in El Salvador can order a killing in Boston. Funds can be moved with a click of a mouse. This year's graduating class at the FBI had more international students than ever. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. Um, so I'm loving chatting with the callers today. And we do have a couple of bits of audio that I wanted to share with you. But right now, I want to go back to the phones and... Uh, chat with Jim in Texas. Hey, Jim, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy, love your show. Thank hey, you. you know what? We Americans are just naturally trusting people, and it's gotten to where we're, we've trusted the uh, public school system uh, for uh, too long. It seems like a week does not go by that we're not hearing something about some, um, some teacher kind of uh, trying to indoctrinate our young students into a, a lifestyle that is, is actually uh, degenerate. It's true. I'm, I've just been depressed about it because if you think back to when, like sometimes you think about when you were a kid um, over the weekend, I was, so we, we got some power backups for the equipment in here. And my husband was helping me set everything up and I was cleaning out some of the drawers and you know how it is. You have your desk drawer and it just, you move from one house to another, the desk drawer remains the same. So I cleaned out this drawer and I found a whole bunch of pictures. And as I was looking through, it was some of my high school senior pictures. And I was trying to remember how I was back then. Like, 
trying to remember back then. And as I sat there for a few minutes and it kind of started to come back to me, I realized, firstly, the first thing that stuck out in my brain was how naive I was. I was looking at the pictures of myself and thinking, wow, I thought I was a grown up, but I was really such a baby, you know? Um, and that was me at 18 in those pictures. And so I, I think about the children we have today where we're sending them to school and we're expecting them to come home and talk about history and science and maybe dissecting a frog and finding a little fly in there, you know, the, the kind of stuff we did when we were kids. And school wasn't perfect back then, but we never had to worry about our teachers actually being paid to teach us about sex um, other than human anatomy, right? Because, you know, parents would opt out if they went any further than that. And now the kids are just coming home and they're having their innocence taken away from them in these schools. And the adults are doing it with, they, they have malicious intent. These are evil people. And in the building with these evil people are the nice, natural, trusting people that you were describing. And they are just, I don't know why they're not standing up to these people. I can't imagine working in a building, K through five, you know, uh, five through eight in middle school, upper school. I can't imagine being in the building and finding out that they're planning on teaching LGBT sex, homosexual sex, and gender bending and not saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not down with this. I can't be a part of this. I can't imagine the, the, the teachers who are parents, because often the teachers have their kids are there too, not just gathering around at the lunch table and saying, so we're supposed to come on board with this and agree? Um, how can we do that? How can we do that? Um, so, all right. It, that that was a great great call great topic um ron in missouri hey ron thanks for calling the show today hi uh, my first comment is on like education it seems like today this generation we all think that we have to you know do better for our kids and send them to you know some university and stuff like that so it seems like we've forgotten about the trade schools you know you as a young man you can make a very good living you know as a you know a machinist, a AC and air repair person. You know, there's a lot of opportunities out there without knowledge. You know, in the blue collar field that that actually pays just as well, or better than some. Oh, it sounds like um, we we he lost his signal there. Um, but he he was saying that you have these trade organizations. You know what's funny about this? So over the weekend, one of our daughter's good friends was. She's graduated as well. There's the so this is our older daughter who graduated last year. One of her good friends is the same age as our son, and she graduated from a different school, not the one that the kid that the, our kids go to. So they had their party, and we're good friends with the parents. So we went over and we met some of their friends from their old neighborhood who we've never met them before. So we're all just sitting around talking, and you know what's funny is when you're sitting around talking about kids, invariably it turns to their education and all of that, and. Want another couple stopped by the party and their son was there and we've known him for years too. He's the same age as our son. Um, actually, no, he's the same age as our daughter. So he, when he graduated last year, same time as her, he graduated from homeschool and he went to welding school and he has done so amazing there. Like he just, first of all, they weren't sure what he was going to do. Like most of us, we, you never know what your kid's going to do. He knew he didn't want to go to a four-year university, but he knew he wanted to get a job and be able to support himself and move out of the house because he's got three sisters. He's the youngest. He was in a high school class with, you know, more girls than guys. And so he goes into this welding program and just, it just, he just flourished. And so when we saw him on, on uh, Saturday evening, 
I was just looking at him and thinking about the difference in his demeanor since, you know, he was an eighth grader and then a ninth grader, because that's how long we've known them. And I just thought to myself how wonderful it was that his parents didn't try to shoehorn him into going to college and having him kind of bounce around there and switch majors and, you know, make C's and party and, you know, all that stuff. They said, you know, you, you don't want to go to college. What do you want to do? Why don't you give welding school a try? Now he's coming out. He's got a job. He, he had a job within a week of graduation and he's doing fantastically. And he's already got his own apartment. He had his own car from before his parents gave him. He's out in the world making a life for himself and he didn't want to go to college. And that's fine. It's not just fine. It's great. One of the most in-demand career fields right now is electricians. We don't have enough. We do not have enough electricians to meet the needs of Americans who have, every, we all have electricity. Um, we should be doing more to tell kids that college isn't for everyone. So that doesn't mean you automatically are saying college isn't for you based on socioeconomics or it's based on the, the temperament of the person. Some poor kids are going to grow up and go to college because they're determined to change their life circumstances and they have the intellect and the drive to get it done. And there are kids who come from wealthy households, like those ones who are participating in the college scandal where they were paying $500,000 to get their kids into these elite schools. Their kids are natural-born entrepreneurs and online Instagram influencers. They're not college material. And they come from wealthy, rich backgrounds. So what does that tell us? It's not the socioeconomics. It's the person, each individual person. But we have all of these skill sets that we need people in. And we're making a huge mistake telling every kid they have to go to college because that's why they're disappointed. They're like, but I hated, like, I'm tired of high school. I just want to get a job and make a life for myself. I want to get some training and get a good paying job. They don't want to work retail or work at the, you know, work at McDonald's for the rest of their life. They want a job. They want to have a profession, but they don't want to go to college for four years. And that's fine too. Um, so let's go to Laura in Alabama. Hey, Laura, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, I'm very excited to get on, and um, I just want to tell you um, how encouraging it is to hear you talk about all these subjects, and um, the one that I really keyed in on was the pro-life issue, um, and you're right, the, the more dramatic and extreme the leftists have become on abortion, the more brave and encouraged I have been to speak out to study why I believe what I believe. I've always been pro-life, but now I'm very educated on it because I've, I've really been studying, you know, what are their arguments? What are ours? What are, what are our ways that we defend the pro-life stance? Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, we win every time. So it is life we're defending. It's exciting. And as a Christ follower, I'm tremendously excited to encourage other people to say, look, my God is bigger than these issues that pro-abort like to throw in our faces. Like, what about all the poor kids? Well, God is bigger, and he loves him, too. It's Uh often a diversionary tactic they use to bring up, what about all the poor kids? Well, that is an issue we definitely need to take very seriously. I have um, friends who foster. We help families who foster. We give to pro-life um, crisis pregnancy centers to mm-hmm. help needy families, etc. It's very important. But we have to keep our eyes. We're talking about abortion and pro-life. We have to keep them from 
um, getting us off on some diversionary tactic because you're good at it and focus on these are lives we're defending and let's keep it on that topic. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And I think the point that you're making is one that we can't, we can't stress it enough, which is people, some, some Christians, some pro-life people, you know, they're like, well, I, it's such a heavy topic and I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to alienate people. Well, you don't have to bring it up, but when it comes up, because now it's coming up all over the place, it's hard to avoid. Just be prepared to share gently, you know, sweetly, kindly, but factually about why you're against abortion. And I used to, you know, Laura, I used to have, I get so mad when I would be going on a TV show or something and they'd say, um, you know, anti-abortion Stacey Washington. I was really upset about it. But then I started to think, wait a minute, I am anti-abortion. Abortion is killing an unborn human. I am against that. I'm against it. So we, the reason you said we win, we win when we're on the right side of what God's word says. Christians win on that every time. If not here in the, in the natural where you can see it in the eternal, obviously we're winning. So there's no reason to be afraid to talk about it. Laura, that was fantastic. Thank you for calling. Um, and I'm so enjoying getting a chance to talk to you, um, here on the show. Steve in Georgia, thank you for calling the show. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate the discussion. I wanted to address diversity because a lot of people may not know that the Secretary of the Air Force, I'm a retired Air Force officer. Oh, thank you for your service. Well, our Secretary of the Air Force is now accepting that Muslims can wear beards and that women can wear the burqa. And I think that's ridiculous to take our standards, our military standards, and to compromise <laughs> with Islam at this point in our histories. Pretty sad. It is. It uh, It is. And I, so that, that's one of those things where I feel like that impacts military readiness and it changes. So the military, the reason why the military wears uniforms is partially because it's, it's, it's conducive to working and doing what you have to do in that environment. But the other part is because it brings uniformity. So by bringing everyone into the same standard of dress, it takes away the kind of individuality that wearing your own clothes brings. And it brings everyone to a position closer to the position of focusing on the mission. When everyone is wearing the same uniform and focused on the mission, it's much easier to see who's in charge because the uniforms delineate power different uniforms, different, you know, uh, you know, insignia delineate power. And then there's also the, um, coming alongside the group, the sameness creates cohesion. And much of what you see done in the active duty services is to promote military cohesion, unit cohesion, so that there's a singularity of thought, which is to put the mission first. So when you have people wearing beards and you have people wearing, you know, headscarves and stuff, they stick out and they are not conforming to the standard that everyone else has to. And it brings division. So a lot of people are, well, Stacey's a bigot. Stacey's afraid of, she's, she's a, uh, afraid of Muslims. I'm not. I mean, I, you know, obviously I fear terrorism. Um, it's a natural fight or flight response, but I'm not afraid of anybody as far as like they're, because you, you're wearing that headdress. I'm afraid of you. No, I'm not. I'm 
upset that we're allowing this kind of social experimentation into our armed forces. It's not good for military readiness. And that's my primary concern. Can we fight and win wars? Yes, I'm good. No, why not? Fix it. That's how I feel about it. Um, okay, let's go to Sharon in Arkansas. Hey, Sharon, thanks for calling the show today. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Um, I'm good. Um, I have a little bit different take than you do on the student loan issue. Um, I have student loans in school. Um, my degree was not one of the frivolous loans. Mine's actually behavioral sciences. Um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And unfortunately, because I don't speak Spanish, a lot of the social service jobs that were supposed to be available to me were not. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's great and wonderful to say, okay, um, everybody wants two jobs and all of that. But sometimes you just don't have that, you know, it's, you have to choose either go to school or be in the workforce. And so student loans are supposed to be a way to help you be able to get that education. But unfortunately, what they don't tell you when you take out these loans is that the jobs may or may not be available to you when you get out. So, yeah, and it is the interest on them is absolutely ridiculous. And well, that's because the government is involved. Because when when private banks are competing for student loan business, they they lower the rates to, to entice borrowers, and that kind of competition lowers interest rates and keeps them lower than it does when the government is the lender of choice. They can charge whatever they want. And what are you going to do? Um, I just caution listeners. So if you're already in that situation where you have student loans, there's nothing you can do. But if you're going into this situation, you should be doing everything within your human power to borrow as little as possible. The borrower is servant to the lender. That is the what the Bible says. As as a person who we're in this process right now with two kids in college, um, I can't stress enough. Even if you're getting a degree in one of the sciences and you're going to have a job when you get out, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to be able to pay off huge student loans. So if you can avoid them, do it. Avoid the student loans. You can get in the call queue, 866-963-2037 if you want to talk to us next hour. Right now, you're leaving us. Good evening from the heartland. Stacy Washington.